this message today will be for some of you that I've already, already said, man, I ain't let nobody know where I came from. I'm not going to go get involved in something that somebody's going to think something of me. And that word is called being reluctant. And that's what we're going to be speaking on this morning is being reluctant. How many of us have, have wanted to do something so many times? We've wanted to be honest. We've wanted to change. We've wanted to, to confess things and get everything out in the open. But, but we're reluctant because we're afraid of what somebody will think or what somebody will say. Or, or how is this going to make me look? As long as you are consumed with how it makes you look, you will never get over certain things in your life. You can't. Because it's everybody else's opinion that you think you're going to find pleasure from. And that's not the way it works. Here's some terms that, that always seem to delay us in who we should be. I'll pass. No, man, I'm okay. I really don't need help. I don't need no help, man. I don't need any assistance. Let me tell you, this guy's needed a lot of help over the years, a lot, a lot. And through the help that people have given, encouragement, and other stories that people have been through things, it's been one of the things that's given my wife and I strength to get above and beyond the things that hindered. I'm going to go to Sister, Bla uh, Sister Amy's blouse, a Sunday school class this morning. This wasn't any of this plan, so we're just kind of sharing what's here. She was sharing a message this morning about geese. How many of y'all hear them squawking at night? Even up here in the hills, y'all think y'all can hear them in the flatlands. We hear them better because we're higher. we got elevation. We're closer to heaven. So we can hear them really well, Sister Blau, for you flatlanders. And, uh, but when you hear them, they're always in unison talking and quacking, and I don't know all the squawking or whatever, quacking, whatever we called it this morning. But there's a lot of different things that go on. But one of the things that we talked about was that oftentimes you will see one goose get off by itself. It'll either stray or it'll fall out of the pack and all the rest of them are still going. But one kind of begins to, to fall away. And, and I think what's ironic about this this week, I never see one Canadian goose fly by itself. Never. There's always four or three. There's always a group. Well, this week I, seen was going, I think it was the E-Highway I was driving down and there went a Canadian goose all by itself. And I'm thinking, where's the other geese? What happened to that one that it broke ranks with the rest of them or where they were in a pond? What was it that diverted it from where it should be? <clears throat> I'm going to bring this to the church this morning. When we come to a group like we're doing on Thursday night or we come to church on Sunday morning or Sunday evening or Wednesday, there are things that will be said that God will place in my heart or whoever's teaching the class or whatever that may speak to you, and it's going to be the truth. And it may not be comfortable, and it may be awkward, and you think, well, they're picking on me, or they're singing me out, and that's not the case at all. What often happens is we become like the one goose that gets off by itself, and we begin to try to fix things and live our own life, and we can't function right by ourselves. None of us can. But instead of listening to the, here, listening to the other geese calling it to get back in ranks or to find its way back, it continues to go. And in church, whenever we speak to you or we speak in a group or a pastor has a message or a teacher has a message that speaks to you as an individual, you can either embrace it, but as humans, rarely, well, not rarely, but a lot of times we don't embrace it, we get offended by it because we think we're picking at them or we're singling them out. That's not the case at all. I can honestly say, I can honestly say I don't ever have a message that I'm trying to pick and, and blast you. I have a message that I'm hoping will bring a message of change in your life. How many of y'all want to be successful? If you don't want to be successful, you're demented. If you don't want to be successful, you're a whack. Okay? Everybody wants to be successful, whether it's in business or in your marriage or in relationships. Every one of us. But if you will not receive counsel, you will never be successful. You can't. 
Because we're reluctant to listen to what somebody else says. And while we're here, some of you may think, yeah, but you're just a preacher. Well, let me tell you, just because you're a pastor sure doesn't mean you walk in perfection. Just because you're a pastor sure doesn't mean that you haven't experienced some of the trials of life. And I'm not going to go through the whole situation of our, of our life. But I will tell you this, that if you will remain faithful to him, he will remain faithful to you. And, yes, I'm excited that Atlanta's here. I'm excited that Layton's here. There was a time in Layton's life I couldn't get him here. If I did, it was just to come to church and, okay, it's over, I'm leaving, and out the door he would go. And then there was times my daughter would come, and Atlanta, don't be mad at me, but my daughter would come in a state of mind that was anything but Atlanta. Anything but Atlanta. Coming to church, went under 100 pounds, and eyes sunken in her head, and, and don't be mad at me, but it was not Atlanta. Because they were both reluctant to listen to the counsel that they'd always had. And friend, as long as we're reluctant to listen, then we will always stay right where we are. I do not want to stay where I am this morning. I don't want to stay just sitting here and worshiping. I've been blessed this morning in the presence of the Lord. I've just, me and him have just had a meeting here this morning. But I don't want to be reluctant to let that just be all there is. I, I need a little more. Because not only do I have my kids where they need to be in their walk with the Lord, I'm excited about that, but I have grandkids, five of them coming up. And believe it or not, I'm always already praying, Father, I pray that you establish the right patterns in their life and how they think and that we will do things correctly with them that maybe we fell short on and we didn't learn until it's too late with our kids. But if I'm reluctant to listen, then it's, it's going to be the same merry-go-round in every one of our lives. I want you to go to 1 Corinthians 14 and, and verse 40, if you will. First Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 40. It's the last verse in chapter 14. If you know anything about the Corinthians, there's a lot of instruction about church behavior and doctrinal issues and how things ought to go in the church. But in the last part of this chapter, he's dealing with all spiritual gifts. But in verse 40, it says this, let all things be done decently and in order. And this is where I want to start off this morning. There is a order in every one of our lives that God has kind of set things in play. If he knows every star and he knows every critter and he knows every hair on our head, some of us, of course, that's more than others, obviously. But if he knows that, he has set an order in our, in our lives. And if you and I are reluctant to listen and pray and say, okay, Lord, I want you to direct me and I want to be in your will and I want to be in your perfect will and I want to be what you want me to be. I don't want to quit being just what I'm doing and I want to walk in a different place because I can tell you, that both of my kids are happy, all three of my kids are happier sane than they were insane. I guarantee you that. Guarantee you that. Because they went from misery to misery to misery. And when God establishes things and he puts an order to it, who are we to reject his order? You know, we come to church, and it's, it's traditional to some degree. We come in, and we have an opening song after that. You know, I'm going to come up here and botch up the announcements. Then, you know, Brother Bill's going to come up and take the offering. Then we're going to go into another song, some worship. And then when that's to the place it's supposed to be, then I'll come up and speak. And, and then we'll pray, or we may come to the altar. We may stand. We may raise our hand. We may play a song back there. They may come up and play a song in closing. We kind of know that. But there has to have order in your life, because without order in your life, you will have no purpose. And you will not know where you're going. You'll just kind of exist. And a lot of people get so lost in love because they don't understand God has established an order in our life. And so with that understanding, our reluctance 
The word reluctance means hesitant, unwilling, passive. And then I put some other things with it. Putting off a responsibility. Life is simpler when I don't become involved, when I don't commit because I'm reluctant to get involved. What happens when parents just stop or abandon or give away or they're reluctant to take care of their kids? Who ends up on the negative side of the reluctance? Those that we affect. One of the most selfish things that happens in America is when we reluctantly embrace what he wants in our life. And we want to do what we want without embracing him, and we become reluctant, and our whole life begins to center around what we want because we're reluctant to do what he thinks is best or what's best for everybody else. So reluctance is something that every one of us deal with. We all have. There's been a lot of relationships over the years. There's been a lot of preachers. There's been a lot of Christians that I'm reluctant to get very close to because there's things about them. I don't have the right connection, if you know what I mean. But when it comes to you and the Lord, if you're reluctant, you're always going to be inhibiting what could be in your life. So with that said, let's go to our first passage, and it's in the book of Jonah in chapter 1. Let me tell you what was Jonah's, what he was so reluctant about. And some of us in this room, we have prejudice problems. We have issues that, that we're prejudiced about. And when you're prejudiced about things, you have preconceived ideas. Let me give you something today that people are prejudiced about. In Christianity, I've heard more men blast skinny jeans than anything else on the planet. I hear them talk about skinny jeans because they are gross, they are ungodly, they're, they're womanly. I don't know all the terms, but I hate them. If you wear skinny jeans, man, you're really? Where there's some cultures, if you wore camouflage, they say, man, those guys are inbreds. They must be from Kentucky or Arkansas. Don't get offended that I'm from Kentucky, so I categorize myself with that. But they begin to categorize the same way. A couple months ago, I went and bought me some Levi's. I thought they were the same ones that I wear all the time, my favorite pair. And I got them, and I was excited and went home, put them on. And I tried to put my boots on and pull them over the boots. Lord have mercy, I bought skinny jeans and didn't even know it. I wear them. You've seen me with them on. Yes, yeah, some of you are saying, man, I like them cool. I like them tight legs. You know, you know, maybe not really. I will never do that again. But anyway, and so soon after I started wearing them, I thought, dude, there's going to be people like Michael Redcloud. Sorry, Michael. They're going to start, man, they're going to dog me for my skinny jeans. There's a lot of other things that I can get upset about, but your jeans or the color of dress, if you're a woman, men, we wear britches. We don't wear dresses. Let's keep things where they need to be. So let me go where I need to go. Jonah was prejudiced, and our prejudices hinder us. What is so exciting to me is, and, and, and this isn't that it's going to get something that always was right, but when I hear people in our church, and Brother Walls reads a, a variety of, of different translations in Scripture, and he has a whole bunch of gamut of them on his computer he just compares Scriptures to. A lot of people think if you don't read King James, you're going to hell. That's what they think. Boy, I've had people in the church, if you read anything but King James, oh, red flags go up. They fold their arms and stiffen up, and, and they're so consumed with things that used to be that they can't embrace something that God's using to reach people's lives. And so here we have prejudices, and Jonah was prejudiced. He did not want to do what God was speaking him to do. I'm going to be honest with you. How many of you have ever been to, the New, York, to New York City? Anybody ever been to New York City? How many of you would love to live in New York City? You're, you're a rare breed, Raymond. You're a rare breed. I've been up there. 
And I have no desire to live there. I don't fit in. It's not, it's not my deal. And so I have prejudices about the big city because I don't feel comfortable there. I've told this story before, but there was a guy that I went to college with, and um, a brilliant guy, super intelligent. I just went blank on his name, so I won't use his name. That's right. And uh, very intelligent, very intellectual, and he had prejudices just like I did. He knew I was from Kentucky. My nickname in college was Kentucky, and how many of you know why they called me Kentucky? It wasn't because of basketball. Is because the way I talked back then. I was very country. I'm talking country over yonder. Over yonder in them hills over there. That's how I talked all the time. You had a lazy tongue and you just country. Well, anyway, so I go to Bible college and I meet this guy. I know his name now, but he always lived different. He always acted different. He was from New York. We'll just say that. He used to cut his hair in the form of a screw on the back of his head and he'd go down to a point and he'd have it and he'd cut it himself with a mirror. But he was so different, and yet I had prejudices toward him. And then later, two years after I'd been to college, he came to my room and started hanging out with us, and he had prejudices against the athletes, the guys who liked sports. And you know what the problem was? We both had prejudice against each other, and we never, either one, got to know each other because of our prejudice. Everybody has them. If you think you don't, you're lying to yourself. We all do. It isn't bigotry. It isn't hatred. You just have prejudices. It's kind of like going to Burger King over McDonald's because they grill their burgers and stuff around. Just kidding, Richard. Or you can, I go to me, I'm going to shut up. Let's go on. All right. So Jonah was prejudiced. In chapter 1 through 3, it said, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for the wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3, but Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish, the opposite direction, to be from the presence of the Lord. Now this is the thing. He was reluctant to go because he didn't want to go. He didn't like those people. He knew who they were. They had done things to his countrymen, to his people before. Why would he want to go there? He had no desire. And so he was reluctant. And you know what happens with people that are reluctant? They begin to struggle with their decisions because they begin to run from everything. And as you run, you're always looking back and always trying to think ahead to protect yourself. So his struggle was with the issue of being willing to go, and he was reluctant because of his prejudices. Our culture, race, styles, religions, academia. Consequences are, are uh, because we are reluctant. Look in verse 12 of the same chapter. And he said unto them, Take me up and cast me forth into the sea. So shall the sea be calm, for I know for my sake this great tempest is among you. Now let me tell you what was going on. When you are reluctant to walk in obedience, you will have constant conflict. When you have things going on in your life that you're reluctant to do what you should be, you're always going to be facing opposition because there will be no favor. There will not be direction. And things will not be the way it should be in your personal life. Are you still with me? And it's critical that we understand this because reluctance puts us in an attitude of rebellion. And so as you read on verse 17, he says, throw me overboard. I don't know about you, but I hate, I like going out in the ocean and deep sea fishing as long as there's no chance I can get thrown over. When I go to the beach, you've heard me tell the stories of, of sharks and being afraid. And you feel, How many of y'all have ever been in the ocean and something bumps your foot? I'm out. I'm done. You go in because you always think it's a, it's a man-eating shark or a sand shark that's big that's going to rip your toes off. Something. So you're, that's me. Verse 17. It goes from bad to being thrown into the sea to worse. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days. And for three days, he sat there and he thought and he wondered about all these things. And you know what changed when he was in his misery? 
he wasn't near as reluctant to go to Nineveh. So, like all of us, when we become reluctant and we get into places and behave and live in ways we shouldn't, we get puked out. And Jonah got puked out upon the ground. He went to a city that, again, he's reluctant to tell the message, but he likes to tell it so he can be blunt and direct with the people that he's blasting. So he goes to the city. Even though he's reluctant and his attitude, I know, was not out of compassion, he gave him, went and gave him a charge. After that, after he went in and spoke everything he's supposed to say, chapter 3, he went, chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying that when I was in my country, therefore I fled from before you from to Tarshish. For I knew that thou art a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. Now therefore, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Now let me stop here because I want to bring the reality of this point home. It is amazing when we are reluctant to do what God has already called, He's already dealt with our heart, He's already spoke to us, He's already begun to do a, a series of things in our life. When we reject it and then things go south, who are we to be mad because things didn't go the way we wanted? It's the same way with our granddaughters. Uh, they will be told to do something. They would be told, you need to go do this, take your coats and hang them up, take your shoes put them in the closet. Sometimes they do that. Sometimes we go to their door and they're thrown right in the middle of the, of the uh, bedroom so that I go back in and then I reprimand and I usually hang it up myself. But here's the point. We're trying to get them to understand putting things up while they're little so that when they're older they'll know how to do the same thing. They'll put it up. They'll follow through. But right now they're reluctant because my thinking as a kid was, well, I'm wearing it tomorrow. It's kind of like making your bed every day. I'm going to sleep in it tonight. So why would I make it? Let's get off of this. All right. So here's the thing, his, his, um, his reluctance was a bondage to him. I want you to go to Exodus, if you will, in chapter 3. Exodus 3. Wow. I'm going to give you something to think about in the life of a man by the name of Moses. Moses, we know, was a Hebrew. He was born of the slaves in, in Egypt. And, while, and when he was born, uh, he was in a time that they were killing all the boys that were, that were bred because, or was born because all these boys were a certain threat to the Egyptians. So the Pharaoh started having all the little boys killed. Well, well Moses' mother kept him hid and nursed him, took care of him. And then when it's time for him to come forth and, 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 and do something because he was going to get exposed, she put him in a basket, put him in the sea, in the water. Have you ever heard that? The Jordan River, you ever heard that? Or the Nile? Put him in the water, and he begins to float down. The princess finds him and raises him. How did, now stay with me, how did he know he was different than everybody else? I know his mother nursed him. I know his mother kept him till he was probably five or six years old, so he knew there was something different. Now, I'm going to share something with you. It's going to be a little awkward in some ways, but I really want you to stay with me. The reason he really knew he was different because he hadn't been taught all the things of God. He knew some of it from the things his mother shared. But from the time he was five or six till he was in his 20s, he was in the power of Pharaoh. But if you remember what happened one day, he seen some, some Egyptians beating up a, a Jewish man. They killed the Pharaoh, buried him in the sand. Then he took off to the backside of the desert. And for the, about the next 40 years, he's back there hiding, basically, from 40 to 80. Now, stay with me. 
For 40 years, he didn't have a spiritual mentor other than Jethro. If you know anything about Jethro, he was polytheistic. He had different gods. He wasn't a scribe or a Jewish Pharisee. He wasn't someone who knew the rule law of Moses, if you will. And so he goes out and the law of Moses, get it? Anyway, um, it wasn't written yet. Okay, I've killed you guys. We all need to stand up just for a minute so we can regroup here and I can close it. Stand up for me real quick. Get your blood flowing. All right. So what happened was Moses goes back, and, and he's on the backside, and he sat down. He's there for 40 years, and, and he's taught by Jethro, and he gets married, and he has kids. But something began to change. One day he's out taking care of sheep, and on the side of the hill he sees something burning. And it was, a, it was like a mesquite bush. It was burning. But it wasn't consumed. So he goes, I'm going to go over here and look at this, and, and paraphrasing it. And he goes over, and he begins to look. And as he approaches, the Lord says, Moses, take off your shoes for your own holy ground. Now, let me tell you what Moses always knew there was something different about him. And in Scripture, this is a huge issue between the Jews and God. The reason Moses knew he was different is because Moses was circumcised. Now, you may think that's crude, weird, or whatever, but that was the covenant between man and God. And it was something that he knew that he was different than all the other guys. There was something different that took place in his life when he was a baby, something that set him apart. And he may have not understood it all, but at this point when God began to speak through his life, he began to be reluctant just as well, but he couldn't deny that this God of his forefathers, Abraham, Jacob, Isaac, they were all people that were before him. Moses was full of excuses. Chapter 3, verses 4 through 8. Chapter 3, verse 11. Chapter 3, verse 13. Chapter 4, verse 1, I can't talk. Chapter 4, verse 10, nobody's going to listen to me. He was full of excuses. Why? Because he had, he had not heard of God's grace his whole life. And some of you are here because you were raised in church. You haven't been a person of faith your whole life. So you've always used that for an excuse that God cannot use me. Look at me. I'm a mess. My life is a train wreck. I'm confused about everything. This has went wrong. I'm broke or this has went bad. My marriage separated, whatever. And I wasn't raised like this. So we're always reluctant to think that maybe he doesn't want to use me. But why would he? And God took a person like Moses that was taken out of his family, and a bunch of things did not go well for him, and he began to call him to do something at his conception. When he was circumcised, when he was raised for a few years by his mom, and then sent into the house and know the rules and the rituals and the education of the Egyptians, because something was greater. One more place, and I'm going to share a personal story of a man here in the church. Being reluctant. Um, I can tell you this. My wife had heard a lot of bad stories about her husband before she dated him. She had girls going up to her saying, you do not want to go out with him. You do not want to go out with him. What? Well, I don't know about that part. But here's the thing I do know. That when we started going out, there were a lot of girls rallying around, those real spiritual girls saying, Sister Wanda, God's given me a word that you're about to make the worst decision in your life. And then I was getting notes from those same girls. No, not really. But, but here's the thing. Seriously? I guarantee you there were times maybe in my wife's beginning that she had a little reluctance to trust or whatever the issue may be. And, you know, you may be here this morning, and, and reluctance can cost you everything. If, if you go and study uh, in the book of Judges, there was two kings in particular. I'm just going to throw their names out and just kind of go over them, and then i got a closing story to tell you. But as I close this, I want you to think, am I reluctant? Do I hold back? 
am I afraid that, you know, I don't want to get caught up in the emotion. I don't want to say I'll do something. You know, I don't want to be, I don't want to be those people that, you know, go get involved in something to do it two times and quit. So you're reluctant to ever get involved and help do anything. And I'm not saying here in church, I'm saying you're reluctant to even do anything out there because you think you're the exception. Gideon, he was a judge of Israel, a cowardly one in the beginning, but God raised him up into greatness. He put fleeces before the Lord. A fleece was a sheep's wool. And first time he put it before the Lord, he said, Lord, let the ground be all around it dry, but let it be soaking wet. And he said, and after that night, he goes, Lord, don't be mad at me, but if you really want me to go fight these people and be a military leader, then let it be completely dry, then everything be soaking wet around it. Twice I gave him fleeces. And there were some other things that went on as well even before that. Because he was reluctant. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's pretty normal to be reluctant, to hold off a little bit. But I really feel that some of you have been holding back so long that reluctance has become indifferent. And it doesn't matter to you anymore if you respond or you don't respond. And that's a dangerous place to get. The other one's name was Samson. Samson was reluctant to listen to his parents. He was reluctant to listen to counsel. And he was a judge of Israel. But because of his reluctance, it cost him his eyes. It cost him his reputation. It cost him everything in his family. And then eventually it cost him his life because he was reluctant to listen. Last story, and this is one in the story here in the, in the church. We had a guy. We have a guy in the church here that um, he's a little older than I am, and and him and his wife got married back in the earlier seventies, I think around seventy four, something like that. And he was over in Dexter working one day, and he, he was doing construction or whatever it was. And there was a man that approached him and said, "Young man, if you invest a few thousand dollars in my company." You will be a very, very wealthy man in a few years. Of course, to a young man, he was reluctant to listen to some old dude he had never met before. How am I going? What's this guy coming talking to me for? Why would this guy pick me out and tell me to invest some money in his business? That's kind of arrogant, maybe, but but he was reluctant. And so instead of investing a few thousand dollars or going to the bank and taking a loan and investing it in this business, he just went on doing what he's doing. He's been very successful. He's done very well. It's Donnie Reynolds. He's done very well. He's done, got a great construction business. His wife has a great business, and they've been very blessed. But the problem is this. The man who approached him and said, you need to invest some money, his name was Sam Walton. How many of you have ever heard of Sam Walton? In the beginning of Walmart, when it was first starting, he went to a young man, 16, 18 years old, and said, you need to invest some money in this company because Sam had a vision. He also had a vision that he knew that he would be a very prosperous man if he would listen. Now, let's reel that in from the financial perspective, and let's reel it into your life. The Holy Spirit speaks to you all the time. He has brought you here for a reason. He's brought different things into your life to try to get your attention, but you're still reluctant. It may not be for me. It may be for someone else. It may be this, maybe that. And you keep making excuses for why you don't invest and the problem with being reluctant when you should be listening and paying attention and getting involved is that it's going to pay horrible dividends down the road. Because if you are reluctant to his voice when he speaks to you and he calls and he says, you need to make a change, you need to give your heart to me. I had a purpose in your life from the beginning. When you're always reluctant, at some point you become indifferent. And when that happens, he no longer picks on your heart. So this morning, you could be like Donnie. Kick yourself.
for not putting a few thousand dollars in Walmart way back then. Right, Donnie? It sure would have been good. But let me tell you a greater deal. It's when you get honest with yourself and you say, Father, I can't do this on my own. I've tried. And I may not understand everything, but Lord, I know this. I'm reluctant. I'm reluctant. I'm reluctant. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Yep, this is an altar call. This is, this is what we preach for. We preach to encourage and strengthen, but we also bring a message that we believe that, that someone who's been reluctant to really embrace, reluctant to think it can really work in their life, reluctant to say everybody else is to work for but not me. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're that reluctant one, you're the one the Lord spoke to my heart about. You're the one, and it may not be one, it's more than likely it's several. That you keep making excuses for why you can't step out, why you can't walk in this, why you can't walk in the favor of Sam Walton speaking to Donnie. Then you need to walk into the favor of Almighty God saying, if you'll trust me, I'll perform it. If you'll give me your life, I'll direct it. Everything may not be perfect, but the longer you invest, the greater the benefits. The longer you invest, the, gra- the more committed you are, the greater the benefits. Friend, if you are here this morning... And he is not the Lord of your life. I don't, I'm not saying you don't go to church. You may go to church every week, but he's not the Lord because you're reluctant. You're reluctant. You're reluctant to let him be. Friend, this is your morning to get honest with God. Nobody cares who you are. It doesn't matter what your name is or what anybody else thinks. This is a matter of your heart being honest with God. And I'm going to ask you, if you are here And something has got to give. You have never made that commitment to Christ. You've never done it. You've never understood it. You never really embraced it. Because you've been reluctant. I'm going to ask you now to step out in faith. And say, Father, I'm tired of figuring it out on my own. I'm tired of fixing it on my own. And I'm going to ask you to work in my life. And no longer am I going to sit. I'm going to step.